dough. Yeah, something like that. Part two of the respiratory emergencies and Tim's takeaway. So the last time we talked about a lot of the conditions that uh, we would be dealing with in relationship to respiratory emergencies. And now we're going to get into a little bit of the assessment and we're also going to talk about some treatment that we can take a look at. So um, right off the bat, you know, scene size up, I've talked about this numerous times, um, or you will hear about it numerous times, I should say, is that it's not just, a, well, you know, scene safe gloves are on. I want you to be able to understand what sizing up the scene is looking like. What is it that's ongoing? Are we talking about not only utilizing some standard precautions with your PPE, but we also need to figure out is it a mechanism of injury or a nature of the illness? What is going on? And particularly when dealing with somebody who is having a respiratory problem, you have to help identify whether or not this is a toxin. Is this going to allow me to go into the scene and, and uh, hopefully everything is okay? Or is this something where, um, you know, somebody is in a confined space and I'm going to need special equipment to actually get this patient extricated? So, uh, again, just that whole make sure that you're okay, you're looking at that scene safety issue, and you're sizing up the scene. Remember that anytime we're dealing with primary assessment, we're dealing with that airway, breathing, and circulation. Is there anything that's abnormal that we're identifying? You know, is there airway open? If it's not, we got to go back and make sure that we open it. If they're breathing, is it quiet? Is it noisy? Those are things that we're taking a look at. And then with the circulation, we, you know, take a look at, um, how well are they perfusing? Are we talking about a fast heart rate, a slow heart rate? What is it that's ongoing? And really, at that point, you start to help decide whether or not this is a rapid transport we need to leave now or we need to do some other things and uh, um, help fix the problem that we found here with airway, breathing, and circulation. Or do we have time now that, you know what, we can go. We can, we, we're going to go in a little bit. But we're going to take care of some things here first. We're going to treat our patient. With history taking, sample OPQRST, same things all the time, symptoms and or signs and symptoms, allergies, your medications, their past medical history, their last oral intake and events leading up to it. Um, again, that last oral intake, you know, people are like, oh, you don't really need to know that. Well, if they're short of breath and they were eating when that occurred, you know, maybe that's something you can take a look at. Remember that? If you can't get it from the patient, you know, they're really short of breath, find out from the bystanders, find out from the caretakers, find out from the family that may be there. Don't forget about your OPQRST. We need to make sure that we have great assessment ongoing and we're looking to identify whether or not there's any information about the, the breathing problem itself. And then we can expand off of that. There is another um, alternative mnemonic assessment tool that you can utilize, and that is called PASTE, P-A-S-T-E. So you're asking about the progression of their breathing problem. Has this been onset, you know, being right now, or was this something that has happened over the past few days? The A is, do they have any associated chest pain? Um, if they have been coughing anything up, do they bring up any sputum and really what color is it? Is there talking to you for the T? Do you notice that they have any talking tiredness? Are they only able to get one or two words out? And then finally, what about E for the exercise intolerance or how well can they tolerate moving around? Uh, you know, were they able to go up the steps or is that really causing more of a problem for them? So when you're getting into some of that history, 
Again, think of paste. It's adding a little bit more information and maybe a little bit of a, a different memory aid. Again, you don't have to use all these. These are just ideas in which you're trying to help identify what the heck is going on with our patient. If you're dealing with somebody who has COPD, you know, you're taking a look at them. They're usually over 50 years of age. They typically are going to tell you they have lung problems. Uh, they're going to be more likely a former smoker or have been actively smoking, and they may still be smoking when you walk in the door. Uh, they may complain of tightness in their chest and have constant fatigue. Their chest may look more barrel-like appearance, and they may also have to deal with some accessory muscles and use some accessory muscles to breathe. And then finally, they end up dealing with um, some abnormal breath sounds where you're starting to listen to see exactly what's going on. Um, you know, putting our first patients anytime that we're dealing with emergency care for these folks, one of the things that we want to be able to do is make sure that we're positioning these patients in more of a high filers position. We need to make them sit up so that they're much more comfortable. Put them in a position of comfort that is best for them. So if it is that they need to be back just a little bit, put them in that position. But otherwise, it's really at a high filers position. Anytime we're managing patients that are um, complaining of respiratory distress, you know, we want to have anybody that is complaining of that have some administration of oxygen. And this is when you're also talking about looking at that pulse ox. But if they're complaining of shortness of breath, uh, you know, that is one of those conditions in which, you know, you're going to put a pulse ox on, that's fantastic. But if they have some mild dyspnea, you may need to consider utilizing a nasal cannula on them. If they have a metered dose inhaler, so if they have a uh, MDI, this is something that, again, you may have the ability to be able to go and assist them with. Now, this is usually when everybody in the world says, well, I can't remember exactly whether or not I can administer this or not. So there are some things that you can take a look at. Um, I would highly encourage you to look in your textbook, in your appropriate textbook in relationship to that. They will actually um, provide you with a whole bunch of medications that you can take a look at. Um, but in Pennsylvania, one of the best things you can do is really identify those rescue airways, or I'm sorry, those rescue um, MDIs that you can utilize. So um, in our protocols, Protocol 421 actually discusses this and uh, things such as CombiVent or MaxAir, ProAir, Provental, Ventolin, and Zopinex are all brand names of rescue inhalers that you can may assist in administering to the patient. They also have generic names. You may hear albuterol or albuterol nipotropium bromide. Um, you may hear a pyrobuterol um, acetate. You may hear uh, albuterol in and of itself or leva albuterol. So a lot of times when you're taking a look at the generics, it makes it really good if it has an albuterol type sound to it. It's probably a good thing to look at um, and you're usually doing okay. It's those long acting ones that we don't want to be dealing with a whole lot. Now, most of our respiratory inhalation medications are designed to relax the muscles that surround the air passages in the lungs. So it allows the airways to be dilated. 
Now you have to be aware that there are common side effects that these folks are going to have, including the fact they're probably going to become tachycardic. Their heart rate is going to increase. And they may actually identify that they're having an increased heart rate and that you know this is a problem. We need to do something about it. Um, that is something that is that is you know pretty common. Um, they may develop some nervousness um, and they may feel that they are nervous about the whole thing. They get some tremors that go along with it. And these are things that absolutely we're talking about um, that a patient uh, is going to experience as one of those side effects. Now, I want to go back and just address one thing real quickly. What I'm looking at here is that you got to make sure that when I'm talking about a patient-assisted medication, patient-assisted means that it is their medication. We, as the EMS providers, did not bring it to the scene. It is already their medication. And we can assist with a meter dose inhaler, provided that it is one of the ones I just mentioned. We can assist with the administration of nitroglycerin. But... You know, outside of that, if you're talking any other medications, well, you might just have to find out the more that you go through Tim's takeaways. But, you know, thinking of those things, you may assist with an epinephrine pen. So other than a meter dose inhaler that is a rescue airway, a nitroglycerin um, and looking at epinephrine, those are primarily the ones that are patient assisted. Those are the ones that the patient already has. You're just taking it off of them and you're using it on them, right? It is not that you're putting your hand on it and then you're stabbing them in their leg with an EpiPen or that you're taking their hand and putting it on the uh, inhaler and using it that way. Absolutely not. We're talking about taking the medication that is already the patient's and helping them administer it. They can administer it themselves if they need to. Sometimes people just don't know how to administer the medication. Now, your book and like a lot of other um, treatment material as it relates to specific conditions for people that are experiencing shortness of breath. Um, you know, you can sum it up in a couple ways. If you're dealing with a, a respiratory infection, whether it's an upper or lower airway issue, um, these are people that really you're looking at humidified oxygen. These are people that we talked about, um, you know, epiglottitis, uh, croup, those are the ones that we talk about. Don't go in there and start suctioning in the air, suctioning out the airway if you're suspecting there's epiglottitis and stuff. But a lot of times these are folks that may respond better to a uh, humidified oxygen. So other than that, most other people are getting dry oxygen. We're not putting a whole bunch of humidity in there. Um, when you get into things such as where people may have pulmonary edema, um, they may end up with a pneumonia type issue or really anything that it can produce more secretions. You want to make sure that you have suction available to them and provide them with 100% oxygen. When we talk about people who are having pulmonary edema, um, get them in a position of comfort, look at providing as much oxygen as they need, and then don't forget about the utilization and the indication for using CPAP. You know, uh, this is one of those things that by absolutely we should be looking at the use of continuous positive airway pressure. And I think when I talked about that in airway, I also brought up that it is also referred to as non-invasive um, positive pressure ventilation. Where, you know, you're putting a mask over their face and you're actually changing the pressures. So if you're not sure about how to handle that part, 
um, as well as the oxygen, go back and listen to the airway management portion or review it in your notes in your textbook. Um, we want to make sure that they have a patient who has COPD, that we're helping them um, with her prescribed inhaler as necessary. If we're talking about somebody who has asthma or anaphylaxis and hay fever, absolutely, if you're talking about asthma, see whether or not they have a prescribed inhaler. Um, provide supplemental oxygen, as we said earlier. Um, hay fever, you may need some oxygen with them, but really not a whole lot more. And as if they're dealing with anaphylaxis, you want to make sure that um, you know you can assist in their administration of epinephrine. And again, in Pennsylvania, you may also be able to administer this medication um, off of a, uh, off of not only your protocol, but you may be able to carry it. So when we talk about pharmacology, um, that will be one of those things where we address those issues. Okay, so I know there's always a lot of questions in relationship to, oh my gosh, what can I do? And that's where we're going to take a look at those. If you're dealing with people who are having anything, maybe a, a spontaneous pneumothorax or a pleural fusion, again, supplemental oxygen, rapid transport to the hospital um, so that they can get the definitive care that they need. If you have somebody who has an obstructed airway, these are people that whether or not they have something that's a partial airway or a complete airway obstruction, if it's partial, provide a little bit of oxygen support to them, encourage them to clear out their airway, try to cough. If it's a complete airway obstruction, we gotta clear that obstruction out of there. Um, if it's fluid, we need to turn them on their side, suction them out as we need to clear out with your gloved fingers to get more of that material out. Um, you may then need to go rapidly to the emergency room or emergently to the ER. Um, dealing with pulmonary embolus, again, you're given a position of comfort um, if they are coughing up some blood, you want to make sure that you can, again, clear the airway, get them in a position of comfort, supplemental oxygen, and continue to transport. Do not be surprised in those folks that you may not see the pulse ox rising um, because it's just where the blockage is, so it may cause some of a problem with gas exchange. And again, that comes back to let's make sure that we document things correctly. With hyperventilation, um, you you don't use a paper bag, okay? Um, what you want to do is talk to the patient. It's actually one of the best things in the world. You may need to provide a little bit of oxygen. Use a nasal cannula. You don't need to use an honorary breather on them, um, but give them a little bit of oxygen and usually helps up with some of those things. Um, if you're dealing with environmental issues or you're dealing with foreign body airway obstruction or uh, tracheostomy dysfunctions, you know, look at clearing out any type of airway obstruction. And then we also want to make sure that you're providing supplemental oxygen. You're going to make sure that um, you have good airway adjuncts if you need to that are put in place. And once you get any obstructions clear, uh, even if it's with a tracheostomy, you begin to oxygenate and ventilate the patients as you need to. Now with kids, one of the things you want to make sure that you can keep in mind is, is that they may not be the most cooperative in the world and therefore giving them some blow-by oxygen where you're holding the mask in front of the child's face, that's okay. They're still getting in that oxygen. And then you just use the MDI as you would if, they had, if it was an older patient. Finally, one of the last areas that we need to talk about is called cystic fibrosis. And cystic fibrosis is a genetic disorder, and it affects two areas. It affects the lungs and it affects the digestive system most, light, most of the time. And this is uh, something where kids are predisposed, this predisposes children to actually have a lot of different lung infections. Um, usually you see some crystallins on their skin, 
uh, when they're sweating. That's usually one of the big key giveaways. But there's symptoms and things that can go on, include some congestion, wheezing. Uh, they may complain of some type asthma-like complaints, but keep an eye on uh, the clearing of secretions and coughing, and those are the types of issues that we need to take a look at. Make sure you have a suction unit available and oxygenate them. So if I were to sum up all of this wonderful little treatment, if you're dealing with patients that are you're suspecting of having an upper um, or uh, particularly an upper respiratory infection, um, such as maybe a croup or um, uh, epiglottitis, consider the use of a, of a humidified oxygen. Otherwise, everybody else, we're giving them oxygen to their appropriate levels that they need of their distress. Um, and I think your book may make recommendations somewhere around 90%. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at about 90% and above, probably going to go with a nasal cannula. If you're below a 90%, you can start looking at maybe we need to use a non-rebreather. Otherwise, consider the use of CPAP in our COPD patients um, or really anybody who is complaining of shortness of breath. Do I need to intervene with some ventilation? That would be one of those. Um, also, taking a look at suctioning whenever you need to, um, moving on to put the patient in a position of comfort and doing a rapid transport to the hospital. Um, I think that pretty much covers up everything else that I need to do. Oh, yeah, assist them with their medications, particularly the MDIs. It's the only ones really in this case you're going to be able to assist them with. Um, so take a look at protocol. I believe it was 421 I talked about. Take a look at that. going to give you some indications, usually dealing with people that are having a wheezing issue as it's related to asthma or a COPD thing, right? All right. So enough of the respiratory emergencies. We talked a lot about that, went through part one. This is the end now of part two. Um, yeah, maybe a little shorter than the other one, but um, this was the respiratory emergencies. And I think we'll wrap this one up now. And as a result, we'll come back at some point and we'll continue with more of Tim's takeaways. Thanks.